I read today from Luke 21, verses 5 through 19. One day, people were standing around talking about the temple, remarking how beautiful it was, the splendor of its stonework and memorial gifts. Jesus said, all this you're admiring so much, the time is coming when every stone in that building will end up in a heap of rubble. They asked him, teacher, when is this going to happen? What clue will we get that it's about to take place? Jesus said, watch out for the doomsday deceivers. Many leaders are going to show up with forged identities claiming, I'm the one or the end is near. Don't fall for any of that. When you hear of wars and uprisings, keep your head and don't panic. This is routine history and no sign of the end. He went on, nation will fight nation and ruler fight ruler over and over. Huge earthquakes will occur at various places. There will be famines. You'll think at times that the very sky is falling. But before any of this happens, they'll arrest you, they'll hunt you down, they'll drag you to court and to jail. It will go from bad to worse. Dog eat dog. Everyone at your throat because you carry my name. You'll end up on the witness stand, called to testify. Make up your mind right now not to worry about it. I'll give you the words and wisdom that will reduce all your accusers to stammers and stutters. You'll even be turned in by parents brothers, relatives, and friends. Some of you will be killed. There's no, telling what, there's no telling who will hate you because of me. Even so, every detail of your body and soul, even the hairs on your head, is in my care. Nothing of you will be lost. Staying with it, that's what's required. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry. You'll be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it says here that God even will take care of the hairs on your head. What happened with that? So 30 years ago when I did have hair on my head, I was studying in West, then West Germany, on a Fulbright scholarship. I was a student at the University of Gießen and teaching English at a gymnasium in Büdingen. And I have never felt so dumb in all my life. Sitting in class, having discussion just whipped by in German, and by the time I figured out what I wanted to say, the conversation was a mile down the road. And then when it was time for me to write papers in German and deliver them in class, 
it was very intimidating and very humbling. And um, it has helped me in the last 30 years stand in great awe of some of the students that come through Drew University Theological School and Endy University who are studying in a foreign language. They are amazing and do so much hard work and I stand in awe of what they're doing. During the Fulbright year, the Fulbright scholars were invited to Berlin for a week. This was in March of 1989. And it was a wonderful experience to study some of the history and culture of Berlin, uh, to spend time in West Berlin and in East Berlin, to go through the wall. I remember in March of 89, walking along this wall and thinking to myself, this immense monstrosity will always be here. I could not imagine that that wall would ever fall or would ever disappear. I couldn't imagine it. I looked across, I could see the East German guards with their, with their, their guns aimed at anybody who would enter into this no man's land. I saw the dogs, I saw the barbed wire. I just thought this will never, ever disappear. Fast forward a few months. In November of 1989, the wall was breached and the wall came down. I still can't believe it. I haven't been back to Berlin. And I still, in my mind, cannot believe that that wall is no longer there. I have since learned how involved Christians were in the East and how they would gather every Monday in the churches to pray, to sing, to plan, to resist an oppressive regime. Egon Krenz was once interviewed well after the wall fell. He was in charge of the former East Germany. And he said, we were prepared for violence. We were not prepared for candles, and we were not prepared for prayer. And it, it's his understanding that it was candles and prayer that brought down the wall because the resisting people were grounded in nonviolence, grounded in the spirit. The conversation that Jesus is having today with some of his um, people is really about the magnificence of the temple. This temple had been standing there for hundreds of years. It had just gone through a magnificent renovation by Herod the Great. And they were saying, look at this. This is just a magnificent piece of architecture. This is, there's no place in the world that people can worship God like this temple. And Jesus basically said, don't get too attached to this temple. Every stone in this place will end up in a heap of rubble. And the people responded with disbelief. How, how could this magnificent structure ever fall? And it was Jesus' way of not only foreshadowing, because in 70 AD or in the Common Era, that temple did fall. It was completely destroyed by the Roman Empire. And there are eyewitness accounts that Josephus recorded 
that are more horrific than I will ever go into in a worship setting, maybe sometime in a study, but you can look it up on Wikipedia. It's graphic. But it was Jesus' way of saying, don't worry about the time of when this will happen. Don't worry about doomsday sayers. He was saying, don't invest too much in this building. It's really not about the building. It's about what the building points to. The building and all good religion points as a metaphor to this mystery of God, points to the reality that God wants to be in relationship with all people and all of creation. If anything, religion is meant to point us to a deeper way, a deeper relationship, a deeper interaction, a deeper trust. Jesus was saying, don't trust in the building, trust in the living God. Don't trust in the institution, trust in the relationship with the living God. Don't trust in creedal statements. Trust in God's desire to be in relationship with you and to be in the flow of love with you and with all people and all of creation. Trust in the contents, not the container. Let me say that again. The container Religion isn't meant to be worshipped. The contents of the container are our relationship with the living God. That is what Jesus is always pointing to. The contents, not the container. Institutions may crumble. Religion is limited, but faith, faith, a simple trust is what can carry us through difficult times. A simple trust in this mystery we call God can keep us grounded when everyone else is losing their minds. A simple faith in a loving God can Keep us in the flow of love when all around us are voices of fear, voices of anger, voices of foreboding. And Christians, we need to respond to God's call to be the kind of people who can stand in the midst of the storm and not be blown over. God is calling us to be Christians who are humble followers of Jesus, who side with love for all people and all of creation. So that when voices of fear start trying to rally the troops, we can stand apart and separate and say, no, I'm not going to buy into that fear. God is calling me and us to be in the flow of love. Even when it looks like Institutions are crumbling all around us. In the religious world, in the United Methodist world, in our denomination, in our country, in our government.
I trust that within our congregation, we've got people watching various news outlets with these impeachment hearings and coming to different conclusions and hearing different narratives and rehearsing different narratives in our own heads. I want to hearken back to 1835 when a Frenchman named Alexis de Tocqueville was sent by France to learn something from America, to learn what it was about America, this fledgling experiment in democracy. De Tocqueville came and, and traveled around the United States for a few years. In 1835, he wrote a book called Democracy in America. And it has withstood the test of time. Listen to these brief reflections from Alexis de Tocqueville from Democracy in America, published in 1835. He writes, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and her power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Friends, it may be as simple and as profound as hearing the message from the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, and the Christian New Testament, the simple call to be good. The simple call to be a vessel of goodness. I invite you to think about your Sunday afternoon, or maybe even your Sunday morning after we leave this place. Can you think of the people you'll be with? Can you think of the places you'll be? I invite you to think about how can we be good with those people? How can we be good in those places? How can we be good tomorrow morning with our team at work? How can we be good in the classes that we will teach? How can we be good in the classes we will be taking? How can we be good 
with our neighbors? How can we be good? Because when we discover that, God flows through us. God, the creator of all that is good. The one who delights in all goodness, no matter who is doing it. Maybe you came to church today to just be reminded that you are good. And that you and I have an immense capacity to be good and to do good things in this world. May it be so for you and for me and for people throughout the world. Amen.